Let us pray. Atea pichi hintuki, na wonia wakanki he, wakantan ka wajina ki, he woita yuha nue. Amen. Please be seated. Hehani wash day to you. I'm Bradley Hoff. I was born and raised in South Dakota. If you don't know where South Dakota is, it's south of North Dakota. <laughs> My last name is spelled H-A-U-F-F. H as in hotel, A as in alpha, U as in uniform, and two Fs as in my high school report card. <laughs> I'm just kidding. About my report card, not the part about South Dakota, that really is south of North Dakota. I am the uh, presiding bishop's missioner for indigenous ministries. I am enrolled in the Oglala Lakota Oyate, the Oglala Sioux tribe, as were my parents who were both survivors of the indigenous residential schools. I uh, began this sermon with uh, a prayer in the Lakota language, and I greet you with the Lakota words, haomitakuyepi, haomutakuyepi. Translated into English, this means, hello, relatives. Hello, relatives. The Lakota people greet one another with these words and not just fellow human beings. To the Lakota, as with virtually all indigenous people, everyone and everything exists in a state of relationship. People, animals, fish, birds, insects, even mosquitoes, every living thing. And, and, even that which to the mind of Western civilization is not living. Wind, rocks, the stars and planets of the cosmos. When Lakota people pray or whenever we speak, we typically conclude what we're saying with the words, metakwasi, metakwasi. Can you repeat that after me, metakwasi? That's pretty good. I'll have you speaking Lakota in no time. Now that you've said that out loud in church, do you want to know what it means? Maybe I shouldn't tell you. It means all my relatives, all my relatives, metocracy. To indigenous people, the universe is a living being, alive and well. The earth and the cosmos in its entirety are our relatives. They are not our possessions to exploit any more than one of your relatives would be. Think of it. All that is, is your relative. If you haven't yet seen things that way, think of how it would change your life and change your world if you did. Because indigenous people see everything as related, it's no surprise that the principal values of indigenous people are humility and generosity and bravery. Giving, sharing, putting others first is our way of life. We are not self-promoting by nature. Our inclination is to take a back seat rather than demand attention. 
These things are such a part of our culture that it is often said that if you're not humble and generous and brave, you're not really indigenous, regardless of your ancestry. I've been thinking a lot about this lately as we celebrate the life of the Reverend David Pendleton Okerhader, making medicine. We honor him today, his feast day transferred to today, and on September 1st, the actual date. We remember him as a man who was very humble, generous, and brave. Making Medicine was born in 1847 and raised a traditional Cheyenne. As a young man, he found himself on the opposite side of the United States Army during the various Indian Wars that took place at that time. And he was taken captive, a prisoner of war. For a time, he was held shackled along with other native prisoners at Fort Marion, Florida, located in St. Augustine, in the old Castillo de San Marcos, which was built by the Spanish in the 1500s. I have uh, been to this Castillo. Perhaps some of you here this morning have also, if you've been to St. Augustine, it's right there in the center of the city. In the Spanish castle, as it was at that time, there were three jails, one for the English, one for the French, and one for the indigenous prisoners. And there's a profound difference between these jail cells. The cells for the English and French had bunks, beds, furniture, and windows. The jail for the indigenous had none of that. A bare stone floor and stone walls, no furniture, no windows. I don't know if that's exactly where making medicine was held during this time. Uh, prison of any sort is extremely difficult to get through. But uh, if he had been, I, I can't imagine how he got through it. It had to have been a person of tremendous character, a person who was very humble and brave and generous to his fellow prisoners. And uh, later on in his captivity, he came under the supervision of an army officer named Richard Henry Pratt. This is significant because Pratt later became the superintendent of the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania, the flagship federal Indian boarding school. We've been learning about the painful history of the boarding schools, most operated by the federal government, but some operated by churches, including our Episcopal Church. Their purpose was to forcibly assimilate indigenous children into mainstream American culture and society. Pratt's motto in doing this was, kill the Indian, save the man. And so making medicine was assimilated. Not in a boarding school, but a prison. He learned English and became a skilled artist, drawing in ledger books, as was common practice at the time. Through his art, he came to be known to a, a prominent uh, political family in Ohio with the surname of Pendleton. 
after his supervised release, the Pendleton family helped him settle in New York State, where he became acquainted with the Episcopal Church. He was baptized and confirmed Christian. As he studied the Bible, he chose David as his first name, and Pendleton, in honor of the Pendleton family, who were his baptismal sponsors, as his surname. At that point, living in New York, I suppose he could have done any number of things in life. But he was drawn to serving others. He was drawn to his people. He was drawn to his homeland. He was a man who was humble, generous, and brave. And so, he was ordained a deacon, a servant in the church, and returned to Oklahoma to serve the indigenous people in the name of Christ, whom he considered to be, at this time, his captain or his leader. He died in 1931 and was designated a holy man or saint in the Episcopal Church in 1985. You may ask yourself, why would making medicine do this? Why did he not resist assimilation? How could he have embraced a religion that would be proven to be instrumental in the process of killing the Indian to save the man? I suppose there are at least a couple of answers to that. For one, he didn't have much of a choice. He was a prisoner. To resist probably would have gotten him killed, and we wouldn't be talking about him today. But I think there's a more profound reason. It had to do with faith, and not faith in a religion or church that participated in assimilation, but faith in Jesus. Jesus, his teachings, his life. Jesus lived in a way that was very indigenous, consistent with indigenous culture and values. And as a first century Palestinian Jew, Jesus demonstrated this in amazing ways. My uh, Lakota elders would tell me stories about how when their elders first encountered the gospel as it was preached by the early missionaries, they heard the stories about Jesus and immediately they understood. They picked up on it because they had heard similar things in their own stories and in their own traditions. Indigenous cultures in their spirituality had Christ-like figures, which indicates to us that the Christ, whom we know as Jesus, is universal and not bound to any particular race culture, language, or geographical district. Universal. And I can't help but suspect that when Making Medicine encountered the gospel for the first time and heard the stories of Jesus, he realized this first century Palestinian Jew was also an authentic Cheyenne because he embodied Cheyenne values more than anyone that he had ever known.
Jesus was humble. Jesus told us that we had to know our place in the world and taught us that we are to care for our creation, that the world is not our property to seize and possess and exploit, that it's not all about us. There is something greater than us, someone greater than us. We have a place in the world, but it is not to be the controller of it. When we try to control, more often than not, we destroy. All we have to do is look around at the world today and see evidence of that in creation and in society. I believe that David Pendleton Okerhater was able to see and make a connection between Jesus and his own identity as a person. And he was able to embrace, as he said, Jesus as his captain, his leader whom he would follow. The one who would show him not only how to live as a true Christian, but a true indigenous Cheyenne person. Because that's what Jesus does. Redeeming and fulfilling who we are as children of God, regardless of our race or how we were born, or where we were born, the conditions into which we were born. Fulfilling and redeeming who we are, not assimilating us into something that we are not. No one should have to go through that. And I want to say something about the ministry of the diaconate because David Pendleton Okerhater was a deacon in the church. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus talks about the 70 that were sent out into the world uh, to preach uh, the good news. And he gives them some very simple instructions on how to go about doing that. And I believe that these 70 were chosen for a reason. I think Jesus knew that they had the character to be able to do it. That these were people who were brave, humble, and generous brave to go forth into the world with such a message, humble to do it in a way that was not attention-demanding or uh, uh, grandiose, and generous with the message of good news. It's speculation on my part, but I, I believe that David Pendleton Okerhater read this passage, and it moved him, it motivated him. And God called him to the ministry of the diaconate because he had the stuff that it was made of. The ministry of the diaconate is a ministry that is not really so much within the confines and the security of the church and the church structure, but out in the world. A world that can be very hostile sometimes. Caring for those who are sick, who are poor, who are marginalized, oppressed, downtrodden, rejected. Being their friend, bringing them the love of Christ and standing up for them in the public sector for justice. That's the ministry of a deacon. And that was the ministry of David Pendleton Okerhater. How has your life been impacted by Jesus? Have you ever gone forth into the world with courage, proclaiming the good news and seeing the results? Have you ever humbled yourself and been exalted as a result 
That's happened with David Pendleton Holker Hader, whom we honor today. He shows us how that can happen. And it can happen for any one of us. Well, I could talk about this for a long time, but we have one other service this morning, so I guess I just want to conclude by saying how honored I am to be here in Oklahoma for this occasion. Uh, I am grateful to Dean Churchwell and the Okrahater Guild and Buzz McDonald for uh, their invitation and for taking care of me. And I'm grateful to all of you here at St. Paul's. I appreciate your hospitality and your friendship. My prayer is that our David Pendleton Okrahater Day and festival may be one of joy and gladness and inspiration for this congregation, the Diocese of Oklahoma, and the whole church. And I want to conclude with a Lakota blessing. Wakantanka iota, washake toya washte ki, ateapi ki na chihintu ki, na woni awakanki, niepi upeya, ohinia u, nue. Metakwasi.